I'll be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 1, our, our text in just a moment. Let me share something humorous. A preacher in his Sunday morning sermon, the title was, Forgive Your Enemies. Well, that's a good title. After a long sermon, he asked how many of the congregation were willing to forgive their enemies. Only about half of their hands went up. Well, he wasn't satisfied. He harangued them for another 20 minutes and repeated his request. This time, the response was about 80%. Still unsatisfied, he lectured them for another 15 minutes. You know, that's an hour and a half service. Repeated his question. With all thoughts now on Sunday dinner, every single hand in the church went up except one elderly woman in the back. He looked at her and said, Mrs. Jones, aren't you willing to forgive your enemies? She said, I don't have any enemies. Mrs. Jones, that's very unusual. How old are you? She said, I'm 93 years old. Mrs. Jones, please come down front and tell the congregation how a person can live to be 93 and not have a single enemy in the world. The little sweetheart of a lady tottered down the aisle, very, very slowly turned around and said, it's easy. I just outlived all the old hags. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul was writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said to him, discerning Timothy's struggle with fear, really with fears controlled over his own perception of life and his ministerial calling, he said this, for God's not given you God's not given us, not, God's not given any believer a spirit of fear. Amen. Not one believer has to live with fear because God didn't give it. But conversely, God has given us a spirit of power, dunamis, spirit of love, agape love, and a sound mind. Today I'm going to be talking about the power of living in a sound mind mind as a believer. The phrase sound mind is a compound Greek word. The interesting, really beautiful thing about the Greek language, like the Latin language, you can build words by constructing them together and you can create meaning in things you want to say. This is the two words, the word safe and the word mind put together. Safrinimos means a safe mind. It means safe thinking. Having good judgment, disciplined thought patterns, the ability to understand and make right decisions. I don't know about you. I want all those things. I want my mind to be a safe place. I want to be able to make good judgments and right decisions. Well, it is God's will for every believer that you have a sound mind. That you live with a mind that is a safe place, that is a holy place, that is a healthy place, that is a transformed place. Every believer has the opportunity to have a sound mind. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Guard your thoughts, for they become your words. Guard your words because they become your actions. Guard your actions because they become your habits. Guard your habits, they become your character. Guard your character, it becomes your destiny. It's amazing, everything begins with a thought. When Christ talked about this and he 
taught beautifully and powerfully, and Paul does, and Peter does, and the New Testament really emphasizes the, the, the determination for believers to have a different way of thinking, having a renewed mind, which is God's highest and best will for your life. So we can have that in Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 <clears throat> says this, the natural man, the unsaved person, does not receive the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So an unsaved person, an unspiritual person, doesn't have the same access to the realm of revelation and Holy Spirit's guidance that we have. But he that is spiritual, everybody say, that's me. So really, he that has a born-again spirit, he that has a new birth spirit, he that is spiritual judges or discerns, examines and evaluates all things. Yet he himself or she himself is rightly judged by no one. So the spiritual person can interpret life at a higher realm of consequence and understanding than any other person. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inside of us, the word of God helping guide us into that right judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Well... God doesn't need a teacher. He's omniscient, all-knowing. The, the next line says, but we have the mind of Christ. Every day I confess I have the mind of Christ. Every day I confess it. I have the mind of Christ. That my thoughts are coming into alignment with the word of God, the thoughts of Christ, the thoughts of God. And it's so powerful when we live like that. So it's God's will for your life that your mind be sound that it be healed, that it be healthy, that it be safe, that it be holy, that it be transformed. Because that's where the victory is won. The greatest battle you face is the spiritual warfare battle for your thought life. And when you win that battle, baby, the devil can't do nothing. When you win it there, you win it everywhere. Okay? You will experience the kingdom of God to the degree that you renew your mind with God's word. In Mark chapter 5, there's an amazing story. It's one of my favorite stories on this topic because it is so transformative and beautiful. Let's read it together. It came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Mark 5, 1. And when Jesus came out of the boat, immediately there met him a man who came out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. So as soon as Christ set his foot on the shores, the territorial stronghold represented in this man raced down to confront him, to, to, to meet him. And so here, the Bible describes this man. He had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. So here's this person, no one can tame him, he's living in tombs. So living in a cave, in antiquity they would bury the dead in caves. And so he's living with the dead, he's living with the bones of the past. He's living in unhealthy places. You know as long as you're living in the past, you're dead to the future. He's living in the past, he's supernaturally strong, no one can tame him. So he has an untamable heart, an untamable mind, and then he has this supernatural strength, a really demonic strength. 
And then the Bible says, and always, day and night, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So he's hurting himself and he's crying out in pain. Now, I, I think there's so much in that to describe what the devil's doing to this generation. The CDC just put out a report in the last two weeks, and the report said this, 45% of high school students are chronically sad and hopeless and cannot function in normal life. Almost half. 20% of high school students have seriously contemplated suicide. 9% of high school students have attempted suicide in the last year. We've never seen numbers that high ever. So, of course, there is a rationalization. There is a understanding of how this happened. Well, you, know, you can't lock kids up in isolation and expect them to be okay. So excessive and unneeded lockdowns coupled with the endless pollution of fear in the media, coupled with social media and its devastating, hurtful, really we're experimenting on a generation by allowing them to enter into social media without governance. And lastly, gender confusion, which is in the culture in a manic way. So they're facing things in such, you know, the devil has just unleashed everything he has against them. That's why I know they're going to be God's greatest generation because look at the devil's doing to them. But what is the devil doing? He's hitting their mind. He's hitting their mind. And so now a therapist and serious people in the mental health world are talking about permanent damage done to a generation. And I'm like, well, I, I acknowledge damage done, but you don't know my Jesus. He... He knows how to heal things that people say are permanent. But let us acknowledge that the enemy has unleashed all of hell's weapons against this generation. Almost all of it assigned to minds. So the battlefield is your mind. The enemy's weapons are thoughts. One thought unrestrained, unrestricted, unbound can destroy your life. This man in this tormented place, cutting himself, crying out in pain, hurting himself, self-destructive. When he saw Jesus, verse 6, he ran to him and worshipped him. Isn't it interesting? A guy with 5,000 demons worshipped Jesus. But the Pharisees that had memorized 5,000 scriptures tried to kill him. It's amazing. So he came and he worshiped Jesus. What have I to do with you? He's not worshiping just because he's, he's worshiping because he's afraid. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you that you do not torment me. So he was afraid. The demonic power is afraid. For Christ had said to the man, come out of the man, unclean spirit. The spirit answered back, as, excuse me, Christ answered back and said, what is your name? And the spirit said, my name is Legion, for we are many. So Legion means five Thousand. Now, I know you've got problems, but you don't got 5,000 problems. Okay? So here's a person whose mind is under the captive control of the oppressive work of demonic powers. So he's out of control. He's hurting himself. He's running, he's, he, he's running the hills. He's living in tombs. He is cutting himself. He's breaking chains apart. So he's doing all of these powerfully destructive things. And 
And, and yet, when, he came, when Jesus came on the shores, everything changed. And the demon begged Christ for his ten that he would not send him out of the country. Just, I, think, I think some, you know, uh, elaboration of that would simply be this, that territorial spirits want to stay in the same territory where they've been empowered to act, be active. So this demonic spirit said, let me stay in this territory. And verse 11 says, now there was a large herd of swine that was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged Jesus, saying, send us into the pigs that we may enter into them. And at once Jesus gave their permission. The unclean spirits went out of the man and entered into the swine, for there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the, st in the steep place into the sea, and all the pigs drowned in the sea. So I could have, this could have been my title, Pigs Can't Swim. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it to the city and country, and the, and the whole city of the region came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, now, that, what happened? He's sitting, he's clothed, and then he's, he's in his right mind. Woo. They were afraid. What kind of man has power over 5,000 demons. What kind of man can disrupt the territorial principality of a region and set the person most afflicted in that entire place free? They're afraid of him. But I love the fact they came and saw three things. Number one, they found the man sitting. Well, he couldn't sit before. He was in a constant state of motion, movement, anxiety. No one could tame him. No one could quiet him. No one could stop him. But when you come to Jesus, he gives you peace of mind. And you can sit down in his grace and receive his peace. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That I have peace of mind not because of what I've done. I have peace because of what Jesus has done. Peace doesn't come because my problems Leave, peace comes because his presence comes. And he's, he's sitting. He's, this is your season to sit in this storm and, and not be affected by it. I don't care what the devil's doing. I don't care how he's raging. I don't care what lies are being spoken against you or what trouble is around you. The peace of God's going to guard you. It's going to guide you. It's going to protect you. It's going to preserve you. It's going to keep you. He's sitting Number two, he's clothed. Well, he's been naked before, uncovered, unprotected. The Bible likens the righteousness of God as a garment. Isaiah 60 says this, he has clothed me with the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He, the Father, made him the Son who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As a believer, you've got a new wardrobe. And your new wardrobe is the righteousness of God. You're a child of God. You're forgiven. You're adopted. You're accepted. You're blessed. You're called. You're chosen. You're delivered. You have everlasting life. You're a friend of God. You're highly favored. All your sins forgiven. And, 
And this man was wearing clothes as a symbol that his season of the peril of nakedness was over. He was no longer left in the vulnerable place of being unclothed or uncovered. He's now wearing clothes. It, it so shocked the sensibility people to see this guy. He's probably, you know, got a little haircut, maybe a little beard shave, got a nice little suit on, sitting at church. Aren't you the same guy that was homeless two weeks ago? Aren't you the same guy that has been arrested 45 times? Aren't you the same guy that no one could tame? Aren't you the same guy that was addicted and self-destructive and you killed your, tried to kill yourself and doesn't? Aren't you the same guy? Yeah, I'm the same guy. But look at me now. Look what Jesus has done in me. The Bible likens this. It, there's a whole chapter. It's really a great dialogue in Colossians chapter 3. And it, Paul says this, the Holy Spirit says this, put off the old man. Ladies, that's not your husband. Put off the old man and talking about the, the natural appetites of the flesh. My fleshly carnal, as we read before, my natural nature. But put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Christ. After God's gift to me in righteousness. So we keep putting on the new until it's really you. In, in, in psychology, one of the breakthroughs of the last half century has been cognitive behavioral therapy, which was the idea was instead of always trying to dredge up and dig up and, and every, every bad thing from a person's past, introduce them to a new thought process. Put new thoughts into their mind. Well, the Bible talks about that. Hello. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you might prove, test, know, and experience what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I, I can renew my mind with God's word. One of the great breakthroughs in neuroscience is understanding the fascinating function, the unbelievable capacity of the human brain. One of the facets of the brain is its ability to change. So neuroplasticity means this. When I add a different thought into my brain, so, so when my mind, the function of my brain, the software, puts a thought into my brain, the hardware, it, it, it changes my brain. My physical body is changed when my thoughts are changed. I, I literally create a new way of thinking. That's why you have to be careful. So we know, for example, pornography creates a whole way of, bad way of thinking about sex, a controlling addictive thing. So there's all kinds of ways people are affected that way. But here's what God says, put my word into your thought life. And it, I'll change not just your mind, your brain, your body, your behavior Guard your thoughts, they become your words. Guard your words, they become your actions. Guard your actions, they become your habits. Guard your habits, they become your character. Guard your character, it becomes your destiny. Everything begins in the thought world. He's clothed. He's got a new way of thinking. He has the mind of Christ. Anyone here can change. Every one of us can change. In Luke chapter 15, my favorite parable of Christ, there's like 40 parables. My favorite parable 
is the prodigal son parable. It's so richly descriptive of this process of restoration. Remember, the young son takes his inheritance early, goes to a foreign land, wastes it on prodigal, wasteful living, sinful living. When he ran out of money, he ran out of friends. He's, he is so desperate, he's living, he's working at the pig farm. That meant a lot to Jewish people when Christ was giving the parable. So he's doing something he hates because there's pleasure in sin for a season, but then you become a slave. So he's serving swine. He's forced to do something he hates, which is creating all kinds of destructive identity issues. And one day he was so hungry, he, he envied the food he was giving the pigs. And the Bible says he came to himself. Uh, aren't you glad the day you came to yourself and you realized there's a God that loved you, a Savior that died for you, a grace that's available for you, a life and purpose and dream created for you. <clears throat> so he said this, I will go back home and I'll come to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. The greatest and most damaging consequence of sin is lost identity. Sin turns sons into slaves. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called a son. Just call me a servant. For your servants live better than how I'm living. And he coming back home when he was still a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion on him. Oh, the God of compassion. Raced down the mountain, scooped up his son, kissed him on the cheeks over and over again. The kisses of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. The son began his speech. Father, I'm, no worthy, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me. The father ignored it. Because he knew it was coming from a broken place. He knew it was coming from a stolen identity. He turned to his servant and said, go back home and get my best robe. Get some new sandals. Get the family signet ring. That's how they signed signatures in antiquity. Not with, they had seals that were rings. And kill the fatted calf because my son was lost, now he's found. My son was dead, now he's alive. And they began to be merry and celebrate. But the, the, the whole point is this. When the son came home, the first thing the father said was, I'm changing your wardrobe. Go get my best robe. I'm taking off this robe of rags. Now, there's often this tension in the church. Well, pastor, we're just wretched sinners. Well, we all were. But when you came to Jesus, that's no longer who you are. All of us have a sinful history, but if you keep seeing yourself as wretched, that's one of the doctrines of Calvinism, which is not good. And it, it says this, you're permanently wretched. We're all wretched. Well, yeah, 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 we should be humble. We should be grateful. We're sinners. But when you come to Jesus, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. You're called, you're chosen, you're blessed. Amen. So the father knew that this son had to be reacquainted with who he really was. I'm going to redress him. I'm going to take him shopping. We're going to Nordstrom's, and I'm going to get you a new suit. And you're going to think differently about who you are. You're not who your past says you are. You're not who your sin says you are. You're not who your enemies say you are. You're not who, who your broken heart says you are. You are who God says you are. 
And when you believe that, it changes, it revolutionizes your mind and allows you to come into holiness isn't when I just live better. Holiness is when I start thinking better. And when I'm thinking better, it affects my behavior in a godly way. I'm being changed from glory to glory. Renewing my mind intentionally, aggressively, continually with God's word. Well, the son finally put on his new garment, put on his new shoes, put on the new ring. Authority follows identity. The ring represents authority. As a believer, when you don't know who you are, you always live in an undiscovered authority. And the devil will pick on you because you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. The bully will pick on you until you realize you're a bully smasher. You're, you, you have authority over the bully, okay? And then destiny. Destiny follows identity, authority, shoes, new shoes. My, feet, my steps are blessed. Amen. When's the last time you actually thought your life was blessed? I'm blessed in December. January is going to be a great month. February, March, April. Next year is going to be a great year. I'm not going to agree with the world, with the secular mindset, with the fearfulness, with the negativity, with the doom and gloomers. I'm blessed. My feet, my steps are blessed. I expect tomorrow to be my best day. Next year to be my best year. I'm believing for miracles. I'm believing for breakthroughs. I know God's going to turn things around. God wants you to live with that, that new shoe blessing. I got my new shoes on. I'm inspired today. My, my friends brought me home shoes from Italy. Whew. Yeah. The last thing, the Bible says this. They saw this man, demon-possessed, sitting, clothed in his right mind. In his right mind. I'm getting my mind right. I'm getting my mind Right, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, though we live in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. It's so important because man, oh man, I don't know about you, I, 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 I have a lot of opinions that I don't bring to the pulpit because I'm, I'm sharing the things I believe, not just the opinions on what's happening politically or whatever, other things, Okay. I, I, I make sure that I'm not always fighting in that realm. I'm fighting in that realm. You know what I mean? And so when I'm spiritually minded, it stops me from participating in carnal battles I'm not assigned to. Uh, there's two people there. Oh. What about the election? I, I know, I'm with you. We, you know, the whole world's talking about how massively successful our election was here. How coordinated and excellence. And we only had 30% failure. Oh, we did such a, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Stop it, Mike. My point is this. We fight devils, not people. Fight devils, forgive people. It's hard sometimes because you want to fight people and forgive devils. I know I, I though we, Live in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. Next verse, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, natural, fleshly, 
but our spiritual, our mighty, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, bringing down every high thing, bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ. So Paul was talking about reaching a region and, and talking about bringing deliverance to them. He said there's spiritual warfare and strongholds have to come down. But he says it's all, it's all in the mind. That battlefield's the mind. Bringing every thought into the subjection of Christ. So it's not a sin to have a thought. It's a sin to let it grow into an action. And so that's in that territory. That's when we got to be fighters. Amen? Someone hurts you, you have, you have certain thoughts and beliefs and things, and yet we invade those thoughts with the word of God. I choose to forgive this person. I choose to bless them. They've cursed me. I'm going to bless them. I forgive them. I'm, I'm not going to become like them. I'm going to live above the fray. So we're in a spiritual battle. The weapons God's given us are stronger than the weapons the enemy uses against us. Oh. What weapons? Well, the B-I-B-L-E. <clears throat> I want to convince this younger generation that the Bible doesn't just have inspired words. The Bible is the inspired word of God. That every sentence of it came out of the mouth of God. It's infallible. It can't fail. It's inspired. And God wants believers to take the weapon of the word and use it to accomplish the will of God in the earth. David said, your words, your word, God, have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. When I build my faith and store your word in me, it gives me a weapon against temptation when it comes. Amen. Okay, number two, the weapon of the name of Jesus. If you ever drive next to me and I'm on the road, you'll see me talking to myself. I'm either praying in tongues, singing a song, or rebuking devils. Devil, you're a liar. And, and I'll look over to you. Hey, how you doing? I'm not crazy. Just, just, just spiritual warfare going on here. Thank you, God, for help. So the weapon of the name of Jesus. Jesus put his feet on the shore, and the demonic power had to bow to him. I don't care how big the devil seems in your mind. The name of Jesus is more powerful. You can be free from every tormenting thought. The weapon of the gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy, diversity of tongues, interpretation of tongues, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, serving the spirits, gifts of healing, working of miracles, supernatural faith, weapons, weapons to defeat the devil. The weapons of the fruit of the spirit. Every day I pray for fruit of the spirit. Holy Spirit, I prayed it today. Holy Spirit, fill me with your love. Your joy, your peace, your kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, patience, self-control. The mind of Christ, revelation, understanding, and wisdom. Because it's not just that it's nice, it's necessary. The gifts of the, the fruit of the Spirit aren't just niceties. They're necessities. You can't be an overcomer without the Holy Spirit governing your heart 
to the graces of his fruit. Well, Pastor, you know, I'm not really a lover. I know you're not, but you've got a lover in you, thank God. He's capable of loving people. He's capable of giving you kindness toward people. And tenderheartedness is a great word to describe love and emotion. He demands in his right mind. I'm getting my mind right. I'm getting my mind right. The biggest attack in these last couple of years, and I, I sorrow over every person who's been sick or has passed away. But there's been a much larger scale assault against people's minds. And I, I quoted some numbers about teenagers, but really that those kinds of numbers are almost universal across the culture. It's shocking because it's young people, which is, it shouldn't be there. But, but So people are under assault in their minds. And God says, okay, you got weapons now. Don't, don't just let the devil beat you to a pulp. Fight back. <laughs> Fight back. I, I, I quote that scripture all the time and I prayed over my life. No weapon formed against me will prosper. It's Isaiah 54, 17. And every word spoken against me in judgment I condemn. This is the heritage of the service of the Lord and the righteousness is of me. I have the authority in the name of Jesus to bind weapons that come as thoughts or words against my life. To break them, cancel them, rebuke them, stop them. Don't, when, when negative thoughts come, when anxiety comes, don't, don't just accept it as inevitable war against it. Come on. Don't accept fear as now the chronic part of the rest of you. The devil is a liar. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. In, in my life, almost everything I was ever afraid of, God's given me a chance to overcome and do things that I didn't think I'd ever be able to don't be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2. So conformity is the culture's pressure to make me think like them. Group think. Think like us. I, I, and, and I'm, excuse me, I can't. I'm a believer. I have God's word in me, God's spirit in me. And I can't think like you because you're crazy. And you call evil good and good evil. And you say all kinds of things. I, I'm sorry, I, I can't think like you. I won't be like you. So the difference between the culture of the world and the culture of the kingdom is becoming more pronounced uh, it, because things are becoming more intensified. It's not a bad thing because you have a light in you. You know what's more attractive than hatred? Love. You know what's more attractive than misery and sadness and hopelessness? Joy. You know what's more attractive than anxiety? Peace. When I have the mind of Christ, I live in those, the realm of the control of those things. Amen. I renew my mind. I don't like some things. In some ways, modern psychology, you know, not psychology, mostly psychiatry, has moved into almost all drug therapy. 
And the problem, I, I believe, listen, if you need therapy to overcome something, I'm not against that. But don't ever believe you can't change. Well, you just have this issue. And so they give you a title. And here's the treatment. Here's the, here's the remedy to, what does it do? Well, it, it shuts off half of your mind. It makes you live like a zombie. Oh, Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm on this drug. It's, you know, the reason why we've legalized marijuana, I'm not beating up on anybody here that takes it, is because people want peace of mind. Well, I, I, I've got a better way for you to have peace of mind than a joint. It's called Jesus. Okay? Really. I'm not, I'm not if you're still, you know, medically, whatever, if you're a pot smoker, keep coming. Keep coming. Please don't smoke it in the bathrooms. Just keep coming. Keep coming. We'll believe God will help you, guide you. And, and you'll get so free you won't need it. How about that? How about that? Okay. Thank you, God, for your faith. Come on, worship God with me. I, I, I've blown up my sermon here. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. Thank you, God. Say this out loud. I have the mind of Christ. I have a spirit of wisdom, understanding, and revelation. I believe God's word is true. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me renew my mind with the word of God. I declare in Jesus' name, I'm changing from glory to glory. I rebuke every lie the devil's thrown against me. I declare I'm free. I'm free. I'm free in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give God a shout of praise, this church. Come on. Prayer team, if you'd please join me down front. As we close this morning's service, we want to, we, we, there was such a heightened, beautiful expression of prayer earlier, really healing and miracles. It's still here, man. We would love to pray for you. If you need prayer for any reason, you feel like you want more prayer, if you got prayer earlier, don't, don't race home. Let someone pray for you. The most important thing in life is what you believe about the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says God so loved the world, the whole entire lost sinful world, that he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever believed in that son, Jesus Christ, would not perish but have everlasting life. If you've never received a gift of the forgiveness of your sins, you don't have to do anything. You don't achieve it, you receive it. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you and share with you who Jesus is. If you've been away from Jesus, man, make this homecoming Sunday, okay? If you're say, Pastor, I'm just going through a horrible week, maybe a, a really tough time. In, in the holiday seasons, always the toughest mental health month of the year. But as believers, we're going to win this month. Amen. Come on. Let me say this. I declare over you, you're not going to have a Christmas misery. You're going to have a Christmas miracle, okay? In Jesus' name, God's going to do it. Anyone wanting prayer, if you come and join us, churches for 60 seconds longer, would you worship God? What those seeking prayer make their way, their way forward. Sing the bed belongs to God and the battle belongs to
Jesus' name. Before you leave, tell someone Jesus loves you like crazy. God bless you.